0: Well, friends, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. We read uh, the first six verses last Sunday night, and this Sunday night we'll read the next six verses in this psalm, of Psalm 139, as we continue our series on our God. And uh, if you wondered about the song before this one, you will recognize that this song that we sang includes many of the Words from this psalm, or vice versa. The psalm came first, of course, so the song copied the psalm. Verses 7 through 12 of Psalm 139, we read these words Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, To you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Beloved, in Christ, from day one, for nine months, he has his mama right there with him, attached by that cord of life. She is always there with him, the wonderful, warm presence who hums, speaks, sings, and moves. She is always right there for him. And one day, he breaks free from her, but not for long. When she's not around and that lower-voiced guy isn't either, when he's all by himself, he will let them know it. He will cry, scream, and shout until somebody he knows picks him up and holds him close. And as he grows, he ventures out a little, spending some time without them, but he always wants to make sure they're there. He plays peekaboo with them, and whew, still there. And when he's playing in one room and they're in another, every now and then he'll say, Mom, or Dad, and things won't be right unless he hears, Yeah? Oh, nothing, I just wanted to know where you were. He grows some more realizes he needs these people, not only them, he needs others too, grandparents and friends and other employees, maybe a wife someday, but even if one day he lives alone, there's always something inside him that craves company. He could become the most gregarious person around or be an introverted loner, but still, there will be always something inside him that craves some sort of company some type of interaction, this is how God made him, made us. We don't do well when we're utterly alone. Throw in a crisis, and then it really comes out. We'd rather not go at all alone. Little four-year-old wakes up in the night, afraid to walk the 14 steps in the dark to the bathroom. Daddy, daddy. Daddy, will you walk me to the bathroom? It's kind of dark and I'm afraid. Okay, honey, I'll be right there. I thought about calling the sermon 14 Steps in the Dark to the Bathroom. The little four-year-old girl wants someone at her side while she walks that scary hallway. But isn't that all of us? One well-known pastor asks, what do you need more than anything else? And he answers his own question. You need someone who's always by your side. Someone always there for you. So friends, what are your 14 steps in the dark to the bathroom? Job interview tomorrow? Starting a job tomorrow? Starting school again soon? About to start your own business? Maybe an IRS audit just arrived on your, in your mailbox. Last child just left the nest, just got a difficult diagnosis. It doesn't matter who you are, you can be the most courageous person in West Michigan, have it all together. Type A personality who thinks on her feet, she's organized. You can have 300 employees under you, but when you hit those 14 steps in the dark to the bathroom, you know what you need. You need someone who will walk with you at your side. You want that security, comfort, strength and and that presence. That presence. It's transforming to know, because remember, that's what we're trusting God will do with this series of messages about who he is, that God will give us a complete transformation, a revolution in our lives. It's transforming to know that our God is always there for us. He is always there. We believe in a God who is omnipresent, omnipresent, always present. When no one else is there to walk the terrified preschooler, the 14 steps in the dark to the bathroom, there is one who is there. God is there. And everyone here has their 14-step walks in the dark, don't we? Good news. God is there always for us. Good news for anyone facing the long, dark hallways of life. Now this truth about God is not the easiest thing to grasp. God is spirit, the Bible tells us. It's not like we can, well, pick him out in a crowd and say, oh yeah, yeah, he's sitting right there in the back row. No, we can't see him. And yet the Bible says he's here. He is in this place, and wherever you walk, God will be in that place. His presence will go with you anywhere you go. Now think about how transforming that is right off the bat. Long, dark hallways of life that you and I will go through, God will always be there for you. The Lord is in that place, ever-present 15 years ago, maybe you remember, two St. Louis area boys, Sean Hornbeck and Ben Ownby, were found, rescued, after having been kidnapped. Sean kidnapped for over four years, and Ben newly kidnapped just four days. Both separated from their families those who loved them, and now their kidnapper is serving 2,020 years in prison. But I wonder, back then, when they had nobody, when they were going through it, if Sean and Ben ever said to themselves, even though our moms and dads aren't here, there is still God. God is here. The Lord is even in this place. What a nightmare to go through. But God still says, I am there always for you, no matter what. How transforming is that for you? It's a very personal truth, isn't it? Do I know God as the one who is always there for me? This truth fleshes out that personal adjective we use when we say, are you in a personal relationship with God? Do you truly understand and rejoice that God is there for you and has a genuine, passionate affection for you, that he wants you to experience his love and affection and then return that same affection and love back to him? Do you know him that way? You've got to understand that is the single greatest difference between Christianity and any other religion, isn't it? The other religions, they have the belief, oh yeah, God exists. So do we. They have the expectation that God wants you to live a certain way. We have that too. But what other religion has a God who shows love and affection? To human beings by always being there for them. Case in point, Romans 8 verse 15 says, We can cry out to God and say, Abba, of all things. Abba, the child's word for her dad. Daddy, Dada, Abba. It's that personal. John 15, verse 15, Jesus, the Son of God, says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you friends. God is daddy. Jesus is friend. Religions don't get more personal and affectionate and loving than that, except one, the religion called Christianity where believers can call God daddy and friend because he is always present with us and for us in every conversation, every relationship, in every solitary moment, in every long, dark, 14-foot step hallway. How does that truth transform us? Besides bringing us to a whole new affectionate awe of God, how does the truth of God's omnipresence, of His always being there for you, transform you? Number one, it transforms our muddy times with morality. When we're muddy with sin, that is. How can it not? Take King David, talked about him this morning, but take. King David, who who wrote Psalm 139, we see in David a man who acted as if he could keep God locked up in a temple. I'm sure you know the story. David's far from the temple one night, spies bathing Bathsheba from his palace rooftop. In seconds, his Moral compass starts spinning. In worship at the temple, he's focused on God. He's writing poetry, songs left and right, and praise to God. He is the great servant king who's a man after God's own heart, but on the palace rooftop, no one's around except David and that gorgeous girl over there. God's back in the temple area. He'll never find out. He's not here, so David thinks. There's this part of David's life when he dresses in his Sabbath best at the temple where God is, and then there's this other part of his life, the part where God is miles away. David executes a 21st century maneuver of ours. He compartmentalizes his life. You heard it earlier in the prayer. There's the stuff I do here and the stuff I do here and here and here. And none of these compartments interrelate with any of the other compartments. I keep them all boxed up carefully. So what I do in this box, uh, no one in the other boxes really knows anything about. I smartly keep them separate. It's a muddy way to live. And David sinks right into that mud. He lusts. Commits adultery, plots, and succeeds in getting a husband murdered. Then forms another new compartment with his trophy wife and closes that that not-so-shiny adultery compartment of his life as if no one was the wiser. What a muddy mess. For God can't be boxed in. God is not compartmentalizable. When David was looking left, looking right, to see if the coast was clear, David forgot to look up. The problem with living compartmentalized lives is that so often we forget to look up. If we had looked up, we would have seen that the coast was not clear at all. It was clear as mud. When all this was pointed out to David by the prophet Nathan... David was heartbroken. He realized the lie, the impossibility, the impossibility of living a compartmentalized life. It just can't happen because it's all connected. The connection is that God is always there in each of those places with us. He's left, he's right, he's up, he's down, he's in this pretend box here, he's in that pretend box, he's always right there with us and for us. It's possible Psalm 139 was written around the time that David had all this pointed out to him. He writes, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? That verse transforms our muddied with sin lives, doesn't it? It says there is no place where God's not looking. A hotel room on a business trip. A bar down the street, a locked office at a desk, explicit material just a mouse click away, same desk filling out a tax return, a locked bedroom where a voice or an arm is raised so much a child or spouse cowers in fear, a nasty comment to an acquaintance in a room when no one else is around. No one sees those places. We're sure of it. We make sure the coast was clear. We let people see the other compartments, the neat, tidy, disciplined, smiling, kind, sweet, responsible other compartments. But the transforming truth of God's omnipresence is this, that even when we think the muddy, murky darkness that surrounds our sin will hide us too, that the light will become night around us, hiding us, God says this truth, even darkness will not be dark to God, and the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you, God. Isn't that something? So much for the shadows of our sinful behavior concealing us. Even pitch darkness is totally illuminated by God. Nothing escapes God's presence. In other words, there is no time or place when the coast is clear. Surely that transforms our muddied with sin lives. Let me suggest it is not transforming in a let's throw all kinds of guilt and shame on this person way. That's not God's way. No, God is simply saying again and again to us, cut out the games. You aren't going to fool the one who is omnipresent. I want to hold you accountable for your own good so that you flourish and so that you thrive. So let's get on with it. Let's get the mud cleaned up with the morality. Right up front, God tells us the coast is not clear. Stop pretending. Stop deluding yourself. The coast is never clear. I'm always present there with you. That truth transforms our muddy lives with morality, with right thinking, and right speaking, and right living, and right acting. With morality. How else is it transforming? Number two, it transforms our rough times with reassurance. And this gets back to the 14-foot-long dark hallways of life that we sometimes have to travel. Think of how reassuring it is to hear that the creator of the universe cares so much about us that not for one moment during one crisis will he be distant from us. You have a God who reassures you with warm, welcoming, inviting words that he is always with you. How reassuring, strengthening for meeting each new challenge, even the 14-foot walks through the long, rough, dark hallways. Listen, if I go up to the heavens as high up as I can be, God's there. Down to the depths, as far as I can go, God's there. Well, what if I take off east toward the dawn? God's there. How about west, infinitely west? Absolutely, God's there. There, even there, the text tells us God's hand will guide me. His right hand will hold me fast. That fatherly, daddy hand, the one that so many dads have used themselves when bringing their children through a rough time. From holding that little girl's one finger on your first wobbly walk together to holding that same young woman's hand now as it's transferred to the hand of the fiance she loves, now ready to make vows in marriage, the daddy hand. Beloved, this is God's hand every moment of every day, always there. Never pulls away. You can grab it whenever the time is rough, whenever your heart is broken, whenever you don't know what to do. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, the Lord is close to the broken hearted. What a reassurance of comfort in our rough times that he gives us. An ever-present daddy and friend. How else does this truth transform us? Last one, number three, it transforms our times of fear with steadfastness. I'm sure you've heard people say, I could feel the prayers and God's presence so clearly as they anticipate perhaps a surgery. But what about when you can't? What about when fear has the best of you? And God just doesn't seem to be there. Is there a transforming truth for those times too? We all deal with fear in our lives. Fear of getting laid off work. Fear of getting a bad grade. Fear of a test result from the doctor. Fear of a spouse's infidelity. Fear of the future. Fear of COVID. Fear of our country's economy. Fear of punishment at home. Fear of judgment day. Lot of fearful time. Lots of them we go through. If they aren't addressed, they start to exhaust us, fill us with constant worry, even cause health problems. Fear can debilitate and paralyze us, fears that have us thinking, oh, this is it. This is it. I remember hiking with my son Grant up Mount Taylor in New Mexico, when you're at 11,000 feet Your heart doesn't quite work the same as when you're at 700 feet, like here. And when you're over 40 and your heart feels like it's popping out of your chest for just a second or two, that is a bit paralyzing psychologically. Your imagination gets the better of you, and the lesser oxygen does too. You think, "Mm, this could be it. Never felt my heart like this before. Miles away from any hospital, left on a mountain to expire. For just a second or two, fear grabs and paralyzes you. You can barely function, barely move. But be honest. Some fear doesn't last a few seconds or minutes. It can last a few months, even years. A daily duel with debilitating fear. Somebody here could be walking through that fearful valley in the shadow of death right Now, one pastor writes, even then God's presence is with you and you have to make a choice to believe, really believe that this is true. This conscious, conscious decision, it's yours alone. As the panic rises, you must ask yourself, am I going to trust in God's comforting presence? Will I acknowledge his omnipresent reality? Will I allow him to strengthen my soul? Or will I believe a lie and cry out, as many do, you are not near. You are not here with me, God. God. Beloved, God wants to free us from that slavery to paralyzing fear in our lives. So what do you do? First, believe it's true. In the face of all evidence to the contrary, you have to believe it's true. So next time, face that fear with these words. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place, in my life. And friends, because of his omnipresence, wherever you are, whatever place you go to, you can say that truth. The Lord is in this place. Second, pour your heart out to him. Tell him exactly how you're feeling about the fear in your heart. Cry it, shout it, weep it, scream it, but tell him. And then ask God for help. Ask for help. Ask for peace. He promises the peace, the peace that what? Say it with me if you know it, that passes all understanding. Call upon God for help. And then finally turn that situation, the fear, all of it over to God. Hand it over to Him. Hand the fretted about and imagined worst case scenarios over to Him. Hand whatever consequences you are imagining could happen over to Him. Let Him have it. Cast your cares on him in his very presence. Refuse to wander in the wasteland of fear. He doesn't want you there, and he will lead you out of there, for he will hold you fast, steadfast to you forever. Give those fears over to him. Beloved, he's not not 14 steps away at the end of the dark hallway, is he? He's right there at the first step, standing next to you, daddy, friend, his hand out, grabbing for yours. For every fear you'll ever have, that is the surest, safest hand you will ever grab back. For that hand, along with his other one, and his feet were nailed to a cross for you. Your Savior, Jesus, who was nailed down in one particular time and space, died there for the muddiness of your sins so that you can have reassurance in the rough times and steadfastness in the fearful times. And because of that cross, he will always meet you right where you are are and be there for you, for he is omnipresent. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful that you are omnipresent, that you're right here in this place, right with us, how incredible that is, daddy, friend. You're right here with us, holding on to us. And Lord God, thank you that in the muddy times, in the rough times, in the fearful times, you are bringing us to a place right where you want us to be. And you are holding us the whole time. Remind us of that when we so often forget it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.